international friends, and welcome to another episode of Fully Booked. I'm Megan. And I'm Shireen. And in keeping with our theme of American Lit Month here at Fully Booked, uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, our favorite characters from American literature. So just characters that we love, characters that we, I guess, remember, even if we've only read these books like once. That stayed with us. That just stayed with us, that stuck out for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a really fun episode. I feel like this is something we should do for like several genres just because it's cool to... Well, it really helps you remember the ones that you love the most. For sure. Yeah, Yeah. that's it. Just like, you know, going going into this and like researching what I was going to talk about and like going over these characters again, I just... I came away with so many memories of the first times that Mm. I read these stories and it was so fun to just like get back into them. Yeah. And you realize just, uh, how much the characters make the difference in the story. Like having a really great character, you know, you could have the best written story ever, if the characters are flat, then it's just not as memorable. It's just forgettable at that point. Even if the story is well written, you know, it's just not the same. Uh, yeah. Um, but we're, so we're going to take a look at that today. We're covering, characters today we've been covering everything american lit all month over here on the podcast but also over on the website at fullybooked.ca so you guys can feel free to check that out if you want to see uh everything else that we are talking about and that our writers are covering this month um before we get started though uh shireen what's on your nightstand this week what are you reading well um after i put aside the trash that is gabriel's inferno (laughs) i only made it through one and a half books, I think. <laughs> and then I couldn't do it anymore. So I went, back, <laughs> I went back to uh, The House of Earth and Blood by uh, Sarah Moss. Um, I don't know where it's going. Um, it's <laughs> like, I'm just conf- I don't know. I think that um, I need to give it a lot, well, not a lot, but a bit more time. Um, the writing is great. Um, characters are coming together. I just am not, I guess, understanding the context of what's happening in the story. So, hmm. gotta keep going with it. It's quite a long novel, though, as well. So I wonder if it's one of those where, like, you really have to get through a lot of exposition yeah. to really get to the meat of what's going on, like, what's happening. Yeah, yeah because it is, like, over, what, 800 pages long. Yeah, so, that's it. you know, so. it will take a hot minute. And, and she does have a tendency to set up her... Um, environment or whatever the setting, I guess, uh, of the story. She puts a lot of effort into that. So I'm excited to get to the meat of the story. What about you, Megan? Always appreciated. Um, I actually just finished yesterday. I think so. I just, whenever we're recording this, I just finished a um, sort of slightly not post-apocalyptic novel because it's um, the apocalypse has just started. Mm. Uh, kind of sci-fi horror called Black Tide by Casey Jones. Um, it's actually, I think it's being published very soon whenever this episode drops, like mm. really like around the same time. Um, it's kind of, I <laughs> I managed to snag a little advanced copy of it um, that I really was interested in grabbing because the, I think the tagline of it said it was very a la like a quiet place. Mm. And I was just immediately like, okay, well, yeah, I really enjoyed a quiet place and I really enjoyed the premise of like that world and what's going on. So mm-hmm. I just got through that. I really enjoyed this book. It's science fiction but not done in a way it's on you know earth with like an invasion happening and it's not done in a way where nothing's you know happening in space and stuff it's all happening with people who have no idea what's going on when Mm. it's happening 
Um, the characters felt really grounded in reality. They were a mess, but not like to a point where you're like, okay, this is stupid. This doesn't right. make any sense. Yeah. Um, and the action started almost immediately, which I always mm. appreciate in a story like this. So yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I was, I think I was pleasantly surprised. I wasn't sure I was going to like it as much as I did. <clears throat> That's always good. Yeah. And you don't typically like science fiction, so. No, it's not my jam. There's definitely a lot of horror elements to this one as well, um, which probably is part of what kind of hooked me into the story in the first place as well. Mm -hmm. But it, uh, like I said, yeah, that's it. Not being sci-fi, that's like a bunch of astronauts in space. Mm. That's still, that's something I can get behind. If there are science fiction elements to it because there is like an alien species or something of that sort, I'm cool with that. Like, yeah. bring it on. That's cool. That's interesting to read about. Mm -hmm. um, just don't stick me like a bunch of astronauts on the space station. Then I just, I don't, you lose me a little bit. I just can't, I can't yeah. get there. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Science fiction just makes me anxious, so yeah, <laughs> it's just really not for me. It bores me, I find, more than anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, People are always like, are you not interested in space? I'm like, no. No. <laughs> it's terrible. I'm very interested in everything that's on Earth yeah, and outside of it. Yeah, yeah. I can't yeah. mind. <laughs> uh, oh, well. But we've digressed. It's time for us to get into some characters, so let's talk about our favorite American lit characters. All right. Okay, Shireen. Start me off. Yes. What's your, what, okay, who's your first character? Okay, um, so I'm going to go out of order on these. Um, and I'll <laughs> Is there an order? Did we do that? <laughs> no, there's no order. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'll preface by saying that a lot of my preferences in American Lit is poetry um, and short stories. So when I was asked to pick a character, well, the first one that came to mind was Gatsby, but of course we already did our Gatsby episodes, so. Yeah, but you can, <laughs> if you like the character and you want to talk about him, you can still talk about him as much as you want to. Oh, I know, but you know, we would be here all day. We're going to so. double dip. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to skip Gatsby. I'll just say that I love Gatsby and I love everything about that yeah. story. Um, but, uh, I'm going to start with, uh, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. By yes. Washington Irving. Woo! Um, that's not a character, Shireen. It's the story. I know that's the story. The character is Ichabod Crane. Thank you. Oh, that's so exciting. Oh, I'm so happy that's on your list. I love that. <laughs> so, um, so the reason why, okay, I chose Ichabod Crane because I wanted to talk about Sleepy Hollow more than anything. Yeah, um, yeah. But oh, okay. what's always, what I always loved about this character was how awkward and <laughs> how he brought, um, kind of a, a comedy to what was a very serious story. True. Um, you know, set in the seven in, sorry, set in 1790, um, you know, a story like this with a headless horseman, um, a horror story, the fact that they put in this, this character who was yeah. so, he, he's a scientist at the end of the day, right? Um, the way that he um, he behaves, um, mm -hmm. he's always curious. He's trying to get to the bottom of things. He is a school teacher. Yeah, he's an academic um, as well, so I'm sure that is. has something to do with it. That's right. Um, and you know, many of you, if you haven't actually read The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, um, it's it's quite a short story. It's not very long. No, no. Um, but. They've done many renditions of it through TV shows. Um, Johnny Depp famously was Ichabod Crane. Oh, it's my favorite. We're going to talk the about best. it at some point. Yes. I love that movie. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. So if I were to, you know, choose my first character, I would go with Ichabod Crane. Um, you know, there's also that layer of, 
in the movie, they kind of went a little bit further with him having like a, a mommy, you know, oh, for sure. complex. Um, but really, he has this appetite for the marvelous is how this character is oh, yeah. um, described. Uh, and that's how he ends up in Sleepy Hollow. It's his curiosity that brings him there. Uh, he wants to find out more about this story of the Headless Horseman. Um, and then, of course, he he starts getting involved with all the characters in in Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really great story. Really recommend everybody gives it a read because it's short and it's very old. So it's actually quite rooted in American history. Yeah, it's very classic American yeah. lit. It's true. Not like, you know, getting into some of the more like modern things that have been, you know, that have kind of stood the test of time and everything and like become American, like sort of in that American lit genre. But from like the last 50 years, this is something we're talking like fully rooted in. For sure. In American history. And they even talk about, you know, a lot of the, um, the British American conflict is brought up a lot in this story. Uh, so again, what I love about this is it, it teaches you a little bit about American history in addition to just being a fun story. Um, and of course, Megan's favorite because it's horror. Oh, so. oh I love it so much. It's so good. <laughs> Yay. So there we go. That's my first one. What about you, Megan? Um, okay. So I'm going to bring mine down a little bit, I mm-hmm. guess, to be, I guess, less on the fun side and more on the sort of emotional or sentimental side. My first, uh, my first favorite character is the character of Charlie from Flowers for Algernon. Oh, I love Charlie. Yeah, it's just it's you know what it's one is I think it was the first one I thought of, which is probably oh. why it was like the first one that I wrote down. Um, also a short story as well. It's not a particularly long. It's like a novella, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, basically the story. If nobody is aware of it, I read it in high school. But if people aren't aware of it, follows this character named Charlie, who's a bit you know, who has some, I guess, some issues with sort of like a learning disability and things like that. He works as like a janitor mm-hmm. in a factory and he's, he becomes sort of the subject of this testing for this technology, basically mm-hmm. this like, you know, surgery and technology that's been tested on mice up until this point. He's the first human test subject for this thing that's supposed to help improve your IQ. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, up until now, they've only been testing it on this mouse subject. The most recent one's name is Algernon. And so it's told from the perspective, the story is written from the perspective of Charlie and it goes through his, it basically goes through his, um, his journey of undergoing this procedure and then increasingly becoming more intelligent. It's done, basically done in like sort of almost like a journal entry, basically of his, his story, what he's seeing happening to himself and what he's observing happening with Algernon, who he sort of becomes like friends with. It's like a pet Mm. to a certain extent. Um, And then unfortunately the regression of that when he sees that Algernon is not able to maintain that for a long period of time and the the mouse dies eventually. And then he sees, and it's sort of his downfall occurs when he realizes that this will wear off and he will not be this intelligent forever. And he's frantically trying to do and submit research that he's doing on the matter in order to be able to help them achieve and keep, um, sort of be able to make this procedure work long-term for people. But it's, it's so sad. Just he's such a, a pure hearted, good character and just his, even the fantastic way sort of that the author's name was Daniel Keyes, that he 
you know, wrote the story where it kind of, you know, starts off at like a very low level of writing and then Mm. increases steadily as the procedure, um, takes effect on the character and how like, you know, sort of like the writing style totally changes as he becomes more and more intelligent, more and more high IQ kind of, and then dips back down again. And if I'm not mistaken, doesn't he become quite cynical at one point? He does. Before he realizes that Algernon is regressing as his, because Algernon's intelligence is, it was kind of, for lack of a better word, started earlier than Charlie's. Yes. So they can see how smart he's going to get. And and as the story goes along, Charlie becomes quite cynical. The more intelligent he becomes, uh, the more he's seeing the world for what it is. Yeah, he has this great little arc where he realizes that like the people he was working with at the factory who he believed were his friends were actually just making fun of them, him mm-hmm. because they thought he was stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, and he realizes that at one point, so that's part of you know, part of sort of the, the cynicism that he experiences and kind of the, that extra layer of sort of sadness that you feel for that character. Yeah. And I think it's a metaphor really for, it's such a a fast way of growing up almost. And, and I think that when you read this book in high school, you don't, you might not even connect with it as much as you could as an adult, you know, because it's like, you're starting off as a child and then you're growing up and up and up. And then all of a sudden things aren't quite as sunshine and lollipops as it was. Yeah. You don't, you haven't had a chance necessarily in most cases anyway, to experience that level of cynicism until you get a little bit older (laughs) and you realize that a lot of people can be pretty terrible at times, but yeah, it's just, it's so incredibly well written for a short story and the character is so wonderfully fleshed out for not having too, too many pages to do that on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love him. He's so wonderful. He is. Great choice. So my second character, yeah. and I guess I have to pick one of them, <laughs> um, but big shout out to all of our gossip queens from The Crucible. Um, oh my god oh my god do you have them too abigail, abigail williams, williams is my next <laughs> okay so let's just talk about Amazing. abigail williams um, um she is one of the great villains oh, of yeah. american literature and i think that she's so underrated she does not get enough credit and i know that it's based on factual events but only to a certain extent the character yes this this person abigail williams was kind of involved in this but you know obviously arthur miller wanted to create a story that was much more and a much more embellished version of it. And he, he did it. He succeeded completely. She's, oh man, I don't even know how to describe her, but she's just the perfect amount of teenage girl having been wronged by a man and just like what she will, what like the vindictive nature that that will bring out in certain cases. But also she's the product of what they did to her. So definitely this older man, um, it was, John Proctor, John Proctor. Um, had yeah. his way with her. So he he says himself, I have known her. Um, and yeah. Abigail Williams is young. So Isn't she supposed to be like six, thir- like 13, 14? Uh, I don't older know. Than that. I think no. she's supposed, maybe she's supposed to be like 17 or something, but still. She's still a lot younger than he is. And he is a married man. Um, and I think Arthur Miller did an amazing job in this story of showing 
what happens when you create mass hysteria over something that's not actually real? Which is just uh, the Salem witch trials were the perfect example of that as for well. Sure. Um, but he wrote this as a metaphor for McCarthyism because yeah. that's what was happening uh, at the time when he wrote this story. And if you look at all these young girls um, and all the people in the town who are pointing their fingers and saying, she's a witch, she's a witch. And just the resulting, you know, consequences of this, it's gossip. It's not true. Oh, absolutely. It, but it's... It's ruining lives. And you, yeah. you see that till and up to present day, that gossip, you know, gossip columns exist for a reason, you know, in TMZ and all that crap and mm-hmm. Gawker and whatever else. Those things still exist and rumors are fueled to this day incredibly easily even if we think we can fact check things on the internet the internet's where you find the most garbage yes. generally speaking about you know now most of the time it's about celebrities and about people in the spotlight yeah but it is it is true yeah you yeah. see that you see that in everything you see that um and even other sort of true crime-ish cases, because I think you can kind of consider the Salem Witch Trials true crime because people were persecuted <laughs> for true. no good reason. For no reason. For no reason. Um, you know, you see that in uh, really famous cases like the murder of uh, Kitty Genovese, mm. um, you know, where there were, the papers were printing when she was murdered in the 60s, the papers were printing stories like, oh, 30-some-odd people saw what happened and no one called the police, no mm. one did anything, and it turned out that that really wasn't true, but major publications were putting that out there, and that fueled fire for decades, um, you know, to you know, to this point, I think a lot of people still think that that's the case. It's not. That no. was proven not to have been true at all. There were only a couple of people who were aware, and one person did step in and try to do something mm. about it. Yep. So it's just interesting to see how those themes are still relevant. They remain today. relevant. They are still something that occurs totally. to this day. But yeah, but if you know, if any of you have not yet read The Crucible, I definitely recommend that you read it because it's one of those it's actually a play. It is a play. Yeah, yeah. it's a yeah, play. Yeah, it's a play. Um, but it's actually one of those where as you're reading the characters, you just want to slap them because and it you're like it reads like a book. It, it, <laughs> it does read like a book. It's very good. But you know, the whole way through you're just like, oh my God, why are you so dumb like why are you why can you not think critically and realize that somebody being you know being um called a witch because they had an affair with a married man yeah but doesn't make sense being Whether it be it's a lot of it's directed at women or also Shockingly. dancing in the woods late at night, they're for sure. obviously witches. Yeah, like. that's it exactly. Um, they just did that in Fear Street. It was great. Um, yeah. the, <laughs> Upcoming. Episode. Oh, we're gonna yeah, we're gonna talk about that. Those are so fun. I loved that. Um, so, but I mean, look if you consider you know you look at the Salem witch trials and you're like, oh, that was centuries ago. How ridiculous! Uh, Satanic Panic was in the 1980s and mm. 90s. It was within like at least yours and my lifetime. Right. So if you consider that then you realize that these sorts of things can still happen and do continue to happen they do and you know to your point they continue to happen every single day and I think oftentimes unfortunately celebrities seem to be the brunt of it yes um being in the limelight I think there's yeah it's almost impossible for them to avoid to a certain extent but even think about you know I think a lot about like high school now you know with the internet and phones and social media god I sound so old (laughs) but um you know bullying people and one rumor getting out of hand and causing mayhem in someone's life you know so it, it, it kind of all contributes back to that, and uh, all these themes are very prominent today. So definitely read The Crucible um, oh, if yay. you're looking oh, for I'm something. I'm so excited we had a crossover here. Isn't that funny? So fun? <laughs> 
we tried something different for this episode where we didn't actually tell each other what our list was. I think was. we're going to do it more. Oh, I'm yeah, more excited we're totally about doing this. this. Yeah. Um, um, oh my God. Okay. So we just had the same one. So do I, should I go next? Go. Yeah. Okay. I'll go next. Okay. So uh, my next character is um, uh, I have Jean Louise or more commonly Scout from To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I mean, I love the, the story and the book in general, but, uh, Scout's character I find is so incredibly well written because she feels so such like, she feels like such a realistic child, um, of the time, but even today in the sense that, you know, her sort of sense of innocence and naivete that she has, Mm. that is so well, um, it's so well portrayed in the story, you know, and she just, the way that kids have, unless they think other, unless they're told otherwise, kids have a tendency to see the best in people. So, you know, in what she observes, obviously, um, with the prosecution that's happening that her father is defending and with, even with like characters like Boo Radley, like the creepy Mm. guy who lives in the house and never comes out, you know, her and her brother are the only ones who feel like they can maybe go and they leave stuff for him in the tree, little gifts. And then he helps them at the end because obviously no, he's not awful. But of course, again, rumors Mm -hmm. making it seem as though he's some sort of, yeah, that's it. Just because he's different and he chooses to be, um, different. And there is a really good, um, I guess there's a really good lesson in there about like, you know, sort of perspective of a child, you know, kids oftentimes when you're, particularly when you're quite young, you think mom and dad can do everything Mm. and mom and dad can fix everything. And there's a good kind of loss of innocence that comes around with, you know, no matter how obviously Atticus Finch is, is trying to his absolute best and he's a wonderful lawyer and Mm. a good person who's trying to do what he believes to be the right thing and what truly is the right thing. Um, but sort of her, I really appreciate, I guess, her realization, the way that many kids do realize even now that, you know, sometimes no matter what the intentions are, you know, mom and dad can't fix everything. Exactly. Yeah, it's such a good story and it's very, you know, you think American literature, you think To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, it's more recent. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely up there. Yeah, no, great, great choice. Yeah. Um, my next choice is, uh, so this is a short story, Mm -hmm. um, by Shirley Jackson. Yes. It's set in the 1950s. It's called Louisa, Please Come Home. And so this character, Louisa, in the story, she's, um, 19 years old and before her sister Carol's wedding, she's decided to run away from home. Right. She's from, I think my understanding is she's from a fairly wealthy family, um, from Rockville, um, and she runs away, and every three years, there's a broadcast on the radio where her mother um, says, Louisa, please come home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Louisa just kind of ignores this because she has run away from home. She doesn't want to be around her family anymore. Um, one day, this guy, Paul, sees her and says to her, your parents are looking for you. There's a, a giant reward And he basically convinces her to go with him back to her family home. And she's like, fine, I guess, you know, it's been long enough. Let's go. Um, And he brings her and Paul has actually brought, I think, one or two other people in the past to her parents to say, yeah, look, I found Louisa. Give me the reward money. (laughs) Um, So he brings her home and it is their daughter. But they look at her and they say, no, Paul, this isn't our daughter. Right. And the ending is that it's her mom again on the radio saying, Louisa, please come home. And so I think that this is just a really great story that shows, you know, this First of all, this willpower of this young woman who doesn't want to be part of this family anymore because she she feels that they, I don't know, they didn't 
they didn't um, nurture her the way she needed growing up. They didn't set her on the right path. She wanted to create her own path in life. So she takes the initiative. She gets a job. And again, this is in the 1950s. So she takes a course. She gets a job. Yeah. Um, she's living a, you know, her own life and everything belongs to her. And when she does go home to face her family, they don't even believe that it's her anymore because yeah. they can't actually believe that she would be able to do be such independent a thing. in any right. way. Yeah. And and you know, this is actually meant so Shirley Jackson is actually a, a horror writer, right? Well, predominantly, yes. Yeah. She did like a lot of kind of horror thriller stuff. Most people will know her from like the Haunting of Hill House. Right. Um, there are other novels she's uh we've always lived in the castle and um another short story of hers the lottery actually gets a lot of mm. a lot of study is still done yeah. to this day about that story it's fascinating it's really good she was she was a wonderful writer i have i'm gonna have something coming up about her on the website for for american lit month i don't know when it's dropping but we're doing it's it it's coming yeah, so a uh, great little short story. Um, kind of gives you goosebumps at the end when you when you know you read that line about the the radio again. Yeah. Um, because you just realize that, you know, even though your family sometimes they want to see you in a certain way, and when you're no longer allowing them to see you that way, they just shun you. Yeah, and that's kind of what I think the theme of the story is. So. I think that's a theme that people, certain people, can relate to for Definitely. sure in their own experiences with their own parents, for sure. In that sense, that sense of no matter what you do, you'll never be accepted Correct. for who you are, and so you might as well just do your own thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Awesome. So your next one, Megan. Yes. Okay. My next one. <laughs> we got a lot of short stories. I feel like that's just what happens. I think that's just what it is. Um, I'm getting into the horror because I'm getting into some Edgar Allan Poe oh, for mine. Of course. Um, my next choice is uh, Prince Prospero from The Mask of the Red Death. Mm. Um, I think it's it's definitely one of the first stories that comes to mind when people are like, oh, well, which Edgar Allan Poe stories do you like? You know, a lot of people will think, obviously, like, The Raven is his most favorite, his most Never famous more. poem. Um, <laughs> and it's also wonderful. But, you know, you've got quite a few other short stories in there as well. You know, he's credited mostly with creating the idea of, like, the first detective mm. story around um, murders in the Rue Morgue mm. and stuff like that. But uh, Mask of the Red Death basically follows um it's set during the plague and uh it's basically in one location basically in a town I don't remember where but in a there's pretty much a village and then there's the big ass like abbey castle whatever mm. you want to call it where Prince Prospero lives uh the plague is in full force people are dying all the time and what he's decided to do is have a big ass party get all the rich people up there on the hill with him bolt the doors and just party and be like well nothing will affect us because we're all locked in here and <laughs> sounds like uh, just... what's his face in his yurt coming out of his... <laughs> <laughs> that's true coming out of his yurt after the whole world shut down oh my COVID. god oh yeah that's Jared true <laughs> <laughs> what that a weird me. dude oh man um sorry <laughs> We were doing so well. That's all I'm going to think of. No, it's just Jared Leto, but as Prince Prospero. He'd probably be good at it. I think he thinks he's Prince Prospero. Oh, maybe. Who knows? He's a weird guy. Sorry, Jared Leto. Please don't murder me. Oh, whatever. Whatever. He doesn't care. He doesn't even know who anybody is. He probably doesn't know what a podcast is. It's fine. He's in a yurt. There's no podcast. <laughs> There's no podcast in here. No signal, guys. Anyway. Whew. Um... 
Yeah. Uh, but anyway, just anyway, so he, they bolt themselves up there. They're like, oh, yeah, well, we'll all be fine. We'll just we'll party here and everything and let the, you know, lowly little cretins get, you know, get the plague and whatever. And we'll just wait till it blows over pretty much. Oh, my God. It's like Shaun of the Dead. Just like go oh, to the Winchester, have a pint and wait for it all to blow over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, anyway. And of course, what happens is that while he's partying, thinking he's so smart and so much better than everybody else, a red cloaked figure appears. Um, nobody has any idea who it is. They don't understand what it is. And this person follows them and chases them through all the different rooms and people begin to drop dead as it's happening um, until they eventually get to the last room and everybody, you know, does die basically, which is basically just, it's pretty much just a metaphor for like someone with the plague obviously showed up at your fucking mm, party. And killed So everyone. like COVID. So somebody. So it's just a regular Friday night. Now. Yeah, it's just a regular <laughs> Friday night these days. So somebody, you know, somebody tested positive and they came to your fucking party yeah. anyway. And then they infected everybody while they were there. So it's pretty okay, much just any major city and anything like that that's going on or that's gone on for the last couple of years. See, like now I'm just picturing like a celebrity party in the Hollywood Hills. Like, yeah, you know, it probably like, happened. Oh yeah, we were having a party in our mansion up on this hill and then someone showed up with COVID and then we all got COVID. Definitely. Like, but I think, but I love just, I don't, there's something great about just how pompous Prospero mm. is and how much he's just like I have money so and power so nothing will affect me blah 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 you know when you know and he's just sort of is forced to reconcile he's also a vampire apparently. yes blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and he's forced to reconcile uh, right before he dies basically with the fact that he's still only human right and that something this deadly can absolutely affect him as well it doesn't matter how much money or power you have if you come into contact with someone who has a virus like this and you contract it you can absolutely die as well yep your money won't protect you from the plague or yep. covid that's it so just don't think that being rich means you're totally privileged and you'll always be able to get away with everything like yeah the poor might suffer first but it'll it'll get up to you eventually you'll get for your sure. just desserts at some point for sure no good choice yeah. and very um current oh yeah it felt appropriate <laughs> um i'm gonna do a um a smushed one for the next one so a smushed one so uh, the author Herman Melville um the characters in his short stories and his novels oftentimes they represent a much bigger um mm -hmm. notion so mm -hmm. uh the first one that I'm going to talk about is uh Moby Dick of course um, so uh the whale in Moby Dick is actually kind of a metaphor for god um okay. this um this giant being that cannot be reckoned with basically and no matter what um you know the captain tries to do throughout this story he just cannot overcome this whale um and also you know throughout the story you only see kind of the the top of the whale you don't actually see what's underneath oh yeah the that's water. true yeah um and so again it's a representation of um you know not seeing god but knowing that god is everywhere and that you cannot control god you just have to find ways around god basically and so you know as much as as um the characters try to wrangle with this whale yep. ultimately they they fail yep um, and so that's the story of, in a, in a very, very small nutshell, what yeah. Moby Dick is. Um, but also, Herman Melville wrote a short story um, called Bartleby the Scrivener. And um, Bartleby is a scrivener who is hired by um, a 
a well-to-do lawyer on Wall Street. And so again, Bartleby is a representation of something that's happening in American mm. culture. And this is what Melville does. So first you've got the whale who's, you know, God, and then this, this prominence of religion mm -hmm. um, in, in the United States, which still today reflects. Um, but Bartleby is um, a representation of kind of what happens when somebody is forced to continually do more and more and more to make up for this capitalist society and then eventually hits a wall. And so actually Bartleby stares at a brick wall yeah. um, from his office all day. And as the story progresses, his, his whole line that he keeps saying is, um, I would rather not. <laughs> so every time he's asked to do something, he says, I would prefer not to. Oh my God, I'm going to say that <laughs> at work from now on. I'll just be like, uh, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd yeah. rather not. I'd rather not. I prefer not to. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what he says throughout the whole story. And there's just this um, clear like um, regression of his character where he starts off as a scrivener. He's going into work and then he ends up living in the building. Um, and the lawyer who hired him is getting complaints. There, you know, right. people are saying, "Can you get this guy out of here? He's living in the building." Um, and the more tasks he's asked to do, the less he wants to do. Um, until finally, he's actually living on the stoop of the building. Mm -hmm. um, and the lawyer actually offers to let him live at home, you know, with with the lawyer. And so, what's really interesting about this is how um, tolerant the lawyer is of Bartleby. There's been uh, a lot of uh, theories that Bartleby is meant to actually represent the lawyer's psyche oh. and how it's deteriorating due to all this work that he's meant to be doing. This sounds like American Psycho. On Wall Street, <laughs> right? Yeah. As, as a result of capitalism in the United States. And so it's just a really interesting short story. Um, I really recommend that people take the time to read it because it's very short, but it's it's just really strange. Like, you're like, why is this person not doing anything? He oh, was hired for it. That's so fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would prefer not to. And I think uh, post-pandemic, we are all at the place where we would prefer not to. Yeah, I think we're all at the point where we're going to start saying it as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Do we have time for quick honorable mentions of some sort? Yes. If anybody's got <laughs> some, I have a bunch. I have one. <laughs> okay. okay, I have several. <laughs> All right, well, you go. All right, um, so my first one, I'm going to rattle them off quickly. I don't want to go into too much detail. Joe March from Little Women. I already talked about Little Women for Classics Month. It's fine. I'm not going to simp too much, but she's the best. I love her so much. <laughs> um, otherwise, I have Lenny Small from Of Mice and Men. Mm, um, a wonderful, one. again, another wonderful, like, pure-hearted character who just is shunned and just cannot make it in the world based on who he is and, you know, the cards he's been dealt pretty much, but wonderful, wonderful. Um, I've also got the, well, unnamed narrator basically, but the, the narrator from another Edgar Allan Poe story, The Telltale Heart. Right. Because again, it's just like an interesting descent into madness mm. of sorts and guilt. Right. And what it will do to you and how it eats you up. You know, you kill someone and everything, but then it like eats away at you. I feel like that's been used in every 
thriller murder mystery thing right. and every every everywhere since the story was published um and my last one would be i believe okay i've only ever read the book so i think her name's pronounced sethi from uh beloved by tony morrison mm. uh who which is basically a a really wonderful story um about a freed slave whose daughter dies but then kind of comes back in the body of someone else and she sort of she's haunted by it and just all of the things that she goes through to try and save this child basically or save this person that she believes to be her child um it's wonderful it's wonderfully written it's really heartbreaking but it's it's so so good Awesome. I'm going to do an honorable mention of Hester Prynne from The Scarlet Letter, which um, is not, in fact, about a giant red envelope, which I thought it was going to be about when I first started reading it. Oh, because letter? You thought it was (laughs) like a a letter that somebody was (laughs) like, I thought it was like a a mystery. Anyway, Hester Prynne has the letter A printed on her um, because she's an adulterer. Well, she's... um, uh, well, she has an affair with a minister or something? Well, it's never actually proven that that's what happens because okay. she never actually admits to it. But, More freaking uh, rumors. You know, again. This is, well, yeah, again, though, so Nathaniel Hawthorne, who wrote the book, lived in Salem, Massachusetts for a right. period of time. He also wrote The House of the Seven Gables while he was Correct. there, which I toured while I was in Salem like a yeah. few years ago. Um, so again, puritanical, very, yes. you know, women being persecuted yes. for rumors. Fucking rumors everywhere. Rumors and how women are always on the receiving end of this they garbage. They sure are. <laughs> So yeah, so Hester Prynne, um, great character, great story. Um, Gotta love American literature. Oh, man. It's like the old stuff is so good. Yeah, there's just something. You know, I mean, if you want a more recent one, I mean, Twilight. Uh. (laughs) Does that fall into that canon now? I I don't know if it falls under literature. I don't want to make that claim. Listen, I can stand on a soapbox all day about how Twilight has changed the entire young adult. Oh, we're gonna talk. We're gonna genre. talk about it at some point because uh, yeah, there's there's yeah. a lot to unpack there's a there. lot to unpack there. So yeah. Uh, but we want to know what you guys think of just characters in American lit. Who are your favorites? Are your least favorites? Did we you know miss some of the ones that you love a ton? You can. Let us know over on Instagram at FullyBookedCA. You can come and check out our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash book was way better. Um, and don't forget to keep on checking out everything that to do with American Lit and everything else we've got going on over at FullyBooked.ca. Um, and if you guys have a few minutes, you know please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you're listening to this. It really helps the show, you know, climb a little bit on the charts and get us out there in front of more people. And we really appreciate it. But until next time, guys, keep on reading. Thanks everyone.